Our sermon text for today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 35 through 43. Mark 5, 35 through 43. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Christian life is completely dependent on faith, from regeneration to death. Now, Christians are often clear that we come to God by faith in the gospel. But we often forget that the call to faith is not just the initial call we receive from Christ, but it is the constant call that we are challenged to heed day after day. Not only are we saved by faith, but we walk by faith. When you wake up in the morning, you may ask yourself, what is the first thing I need today? Some of us may say, I need to check the news, social media, I need to exercise, I need to do my devotion. If you're godly, you may say, I just need some coffee. But friends, There is only one thing that we truly need renewed every morning, and that is faith. Faith in Christ. Faith faith anew. Faith is often a fight, a struggle. Some seasons in our lives, it may feel easier to have faith, but sooner or later, we realize that faith does not exist without trial. Faith does not exist without struggle. Our story for today depicts one man's struggle for faith. But this man didn't fight for faith alone. This man had Jesus on his side. And this is greatly encouraging to us today Because Jesus demands that we place our faith in Him. But Jesus also supplies us with the strength that we need in order 
to trust in him. So before we dive into our text today, let's remember where we are. Let's, let's grab our bearings. I told you last week that the passage that we observed last week uh, was a intertwined with this week's passage in an inseparable way. We saw two stories where the larger story envelops the shorter story in a sandwich style. Several of you have told me this week that you finally realize that I'm not joking when I say that theologians call this the Markin sandwich. Matt Weiser and Kevin Van Brunt even gave me a gift card to Subway this week so I could go ask them if they serve Markin sandwiches. It was a generous joke. But we see the sandwich very clearly in our passage for this week, don't we? Last week we met Jairus, a desperate father pleading at Jesus' feet to heal, for Jesus to heal his dying daughter. Jesus responds to the first part of the story with mercy and care. He comes along with Jairus. He is interruptible. But as they made their way over to Jairus' house, they were interrupted again by a woman who suffered with a bleeding disorder for 12 years. The dilemma would be great in the minds of many of us. Should we help Jairus? A man of influence? The ruler of the synagogue with a daughter with a terminal disease or an unknown woman? A lawbreaker with a terrible disease, but not at that moment life-threatening. But there was no dilemma here for Jesus. For Jesus, his help was needed in both situations. This woman approaches Jesus by faith, and Jesus never casts out faith. Jesus never rejects one who comes to him by faith. Jesus was by no means too busy for this woman. Jesus was no, by no means too devoted to people of influence to pay attention to a nameless woman. But more importantly, Jesus was not too busy to stop and get to know this woman. He treated her with dignity, dignity that she hadn't experienced in 12 years. And he commanded her for her faith. What perhaps Jairus didn't know was that this woman stood as a lesson for him. The faith that this woman displayed would be the same faith Jairus would need now. Unwavering faith that shuts down the voices of the world. Unwavering faith that shuts down the schemes and deceptions of Satan. And this is a lesson for us as well. First from the woman, but also from Jairus. Today I'm going to call you to faith. I'm going to call you to a faith like the woman's faith, like Jairus' 
faith. Today, I'm going to call you to great faith, faith that overcomes fear in light of suffering. Some of us need to deposit this in our bank account today and withdraw it immediately. Some of us need to save this deposit and guard it because the Lord will call us, all of us, to walk through circumstances where only faith will carry us. But Jesus' voice calling us to faith will resonate in the hearts, in our hearts. And all competing voices will acquiesce in light of Jesus' call. Believers hear the call of Christ and they heed. Jesus' call of faith will resonate in our hearts more loudly than the faithless voice of the world and the wicked voice of Satan. So today as we as we look at our text, we'll, con- we'll consider Jairus' journey, which is really all of our journey. Jairus' journey begins with bad news, leads him to the struggle of faith, and ends with good news. That's the journey of every Christian. That's the journey of every believer. So let's consider first bad news. Look at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking to the woman that he had healed, A report came from Jairus' household that his daughter had died. Devastating news. Perhaps no worse news than this. It was over. Jairus had sought Jesus in order for him to heal his daughter. But now, death had overcome her. C.S. Lewis so rightly puts it in, His book, A Grief, observes that the death of a beloved is an amputation. If you've experienced the death of a loved one, you certainly know what Lewis means here. When a loved one dies, a part of us dies with them. And a part of Jairus had just died along with his daughter. Friends, death is the great enemy. He came into the world uninvited. God instructed and warned Adam to keep death out of the garden. But in his rebellion, Adam opened up the door for us all to experience this dreadful plague. The statistics do not lie. One out of every one person that is born dies. This rebellion of Adam is the same rebellion we engage with against God daily. This rebellion is called sin. We have learned it from our father, Adam. Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. We have earned death. Death is deserving to us. Death is described in the Bible as a ruler who reigns. Death reigns in the present age and we suffer from its oppressive authority over us. We suffer as our own bodies daily inch closer to complete submission to this terrible ruler. But we also suffer as we see those who we love suffer under the same oppression. 
I told you last week that suffering knows no discrimination. And death is the ultimate suffering. And it too knows no discrimination. The death of Jairus' daughter was tragic. It was untimely. She was young. Additionally, at age 12, she had just entered adulthood and she was eligible for marriage, and yet she died before she could experience all these things in life. Jairus was faced with a conflict in this story between the theological reality that God is good, he knew that, and his immediate experience or reality of deep suffering. Have you been there? Have you been at the place where your theology and your experience don't seem to match? I mean, we know God is good, don't we? So many of us have been taught to sing of His goodness from such an early age. God is so good. He's so good to me. I mean, do you want to get a crowd of Christians loud and responsive just say boldly, God is good all the time? You know it. You know it better than that, by the way. We know this, don't we? Our theology is sound. But, but does our experience match our theology? What about questions like, why does the wicked prosper? Questions like, why does the righteous suffer? Where is God's goodness in light of those things. Lord, I've lived my life for you. Why did you choose me for such suffering? Couldn't this lot have fallen on someone else? Couldn't this lot have fallen on the wicked? There often is a gap between theology and experience, isn't there? But we know that if our experiences don't agree with the Word of God, it is we who need to change. We are the ones who need to adjust and adapt. We are the ones who need to bridge the gap. Well, how do we bridge the gap between our theology and and our experience when they seem to clash? Here's what we do. We fight for faith. We fight for faith. And this is what we see happening in Jairus' story here. It is interesting that we don't, we're not told much of Jairus' internal struggle, but it's clearly there. You know why we know it's there? Because Jesus fights with him. So let's look now at at Jairus' fight for faith. Truly what we see in the second half of verse 35 and in verse 36 are the competing voices resonating in Jairus' ears. One voice is the voice of the world. The other voice is the voice of Jesus. We have these voices in our ears today as well. Notice what the voice of the world does here. The voice of the world speaks partial truths. 
your daughter is dead. Well, that's true. But the world does not have a final say on matters of life and death when Jesus is present. Notice that the voice of the world also speaks a partial truth about Jesus. He's a teacher. Why bother the teacher further? Well, that's right. But Jesus is not merely a teacher. No, Jesus is God. Notice also that the voice of the world seeks to distance us from Jesus. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jairus, Jesus is not interested in your well-being. If he cared, he wouldn't have let your daughter die. If he cared, you wouldn't have gotten distracted by the bleeding woman. Jairus, you're a man of repute. You're an important man. How could Jesus have stopped to help that nameless woman and yet let your daughter die? Jairus, you have bothered Jesus enough. Walk away now. The voice of the world echoes the voice of Satan. Although the Bible does draw a distinction between Satan and the world, both Satan and the world have a common enemy, you and me. Therefore, at every opportunity, Satan and the world work together to destroy the confidence that you and I must place in Christ. Friends, the voices whispering in Jairus' ears to th that day are whispering in your ear today as well. Satan is not happy that you are today listening to the Word of God. Satan is not happy that you're seeking to follow Christ. He will speak to you. But you must ignore his voice and amplify the voice of Christ. Notice what Christ does. Setting an example to Jairus. He overhears the voice of the world. Literally, Jesus hears the voice of the world, but he ignores it. Sometimes Jesus rebukes the voice of the world, but sometimes... He ignores it. And here's what he does. He's telling Jairus, Jairus, just follow me. He says, don't listen to them. Listen to me. And what is the voice of Christ? Friends, the voice of Christ is the voice of wisdom. We lack wisdom. And this is often made evident when we're in the midst of convoluted, complicated situations when life doesn't go our way when suffering knocks knocks at our door and we're often found without the necessary wisdom to know how to navigate life we lack wisdom but notice how the proximity to christ here helped jairus maintain his faith I was realizing the other day that often parenting mirrors the way Christ imparts his wisdom to us. For example, when I take my son out there where there are lots of cars and parking lots, I tell them, give me your hand. Give me your hand. Why? Because he lacks the wisdom that he needs to know the dangers that are oncoming in a parking lot full of cars. 
Besides, cars often don't see him because he's too small. But when he holds my hand, my wisdom is transferred to him. My wisdom protects him. His proximity to me creates a flow of wisdom from me to him. And even if he fights my hand and wants to let go and run into oncoming traffic, I am stronger than him. I will not let him go and fall prey to his own folly. This is exactly what Jesus is doing here. He, he, is, he is imparting his wisdom to Jairus by saying, just come with me. Just follow me. And if you follow me, you will gain my wisdom. Jairus, do you hear all this folly? Don't fall prey to it. Do you see what I do with the voice of the world? I shut it down. I ignore it. And I keep walking towards the goal. Give me your hand, Jairus, and walk with me. Friends, when it feels like Jesus is pulling us in life through pain and suffering, this is what he's doing. He's saying, you don't have the wisdom you need. Hold on to my hand and trust me. The voice of Christ also defends us from the voice of the world. Jesus Christ himself is the defender of Jairus. Jesus Christ himself is our defender against the evil one. He leaves him no room to even consider following the lies of the world, the lies of the devil. Jesus speaks immediately and defends those whom he loves. When the world speaks to us, it speaks in order to create confusion. Satan's favorite line is, did God really say? Are God's promises really true? Will God really remain with you? Will your faith prove to be worth it? When Peter trusted himself too much, Jesus reminded him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And if it stopped there, Peter would have lost. But look at how Jesus defends Peter. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then Jesus says, not, and if you return. Do you see the assurance here? And when you have turned again. Once you win the battle against Satan because of my intercession for you, once you return, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. Peter was too weak to fight Satan, but his defender was Christ himself. He was saying, you will hear the voice of Satan, but don't follow him. Follow me. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The voice of Christ also leads us to refocus our attention from faith, from fear to faith. This is at the heart of Jairus' struggle. Fear is the enemy of faith. When we fear, 
we buy into the lie that God is not in control. This is the big problem with fear. When we fear, we buy into the lie that God is not in control. So what Jesus is saying, Jairus, if you buy into fear now, you're not going to trust that I'm in control of the situation. So do not fear, believe. I have a friend who really struggled with bouts of anxiety and despondency over his entire life. And after being away from him for a few years, Indy and I realized that a great change had taken place in his heart. So we asked, how did you overcome these things that plagued you so much? And he said, I have committed myself to believing more and more in the sovereignty of God over my life. This is the solution, isn't it? When Jesus is telling Jairus, do not fear, only believe, he's saying, do you trust my sovereignty? Do you trust that I'm in control? This is the solution. When we're plagued with fear, we trust that God is in control. God is not more in control when our feet are on the ground than when they are 30,000 feet in the air. God is not more in control when we are enjoying ourselves with, with our families than compared to when we are in a hospital bed. God is in control at all times. Jesus, this is exactly what Jesus was leading Jairus to believe. Your daughter is dead, but I am still in control. Believe me. Trust me. Jesus is saying, I've got this under control. They call me teacher, but you must know me as God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in your own life? Do you view Jesus as a mere teacher with some wisdom that we can embrace or not? Or do you view Jesus as God? What difference would it make in your life, in your battles against fear and, and faithlessness, if Jesus showed up at your own house today and said to you, do not fear, only believe. But friends, it is through the proclamation of the word today that Jesus is saying to you, in whatever life circumstance you are in today, do not fear, only believe. And we know Jairus believed. How do we know? He followed Jesus. But then this turns into good news. So much of our narrative is going to develop in this point, so we're going to move a little bit faster through the verses in this section, starting verse 37, Jesus takes charge. He only calls three of his disciples to follow him. Peter, the first leader of the church. John, the beloved disciple. And James, his brother, who would go to be the first martyr. The fact that Jesus called the three indicates that this miracle that's about to take place is special. We have seen no resurrections in the gospel of Mark thus far. So Jesus calls them to follow him. Th these disciples are to be discipled in a special way. Th they're in some sense, this is the apex of the book of Mark thus far. This is the high water mark thus far of the book of Mark. 
When they arrive at Jairus' home, they find a commotion. The funeral is moving full steam ahead. You may be surprised that a funeral began so fast after the passing of the girl, but, but this was a common practice. In America, the practice of embalming a body is very common, so a funeral can take days, sometimes even weeks, to take place. This practice is not common in many, perhaps most parts of the world, and it was definitely not common in the ancient world. I remember in Brazil growing up, funerals would happen within 24 hours of a person dying. So very often, emotions would be very raw. Emotions would be very present, unlike most funerals that we see in America, where emotions are more subdued because of the time between the passing of the person and the burial. So Jesus comes to this common scene in the ancient world, people weeping, wailing. Matthew tells us that even the flute players had already arrived. These are not necessarily people who are there because they love the girl, no. These were the professionals of death. Wailers and musicians were a necessary part of funerals in ancient Palestine. Rabbi Judah, a second century Jewish rabbi, said that even the poorest person in Israel should hire at least two flute players and a wailing woman. So, Jesus comes to this picture and says, why are you making such a commotion? The girl is not dead. She's just sleeping. Now, these people were not doctors. But one thing that they knew was death. They knew a dead person when they saw one. This girl was not sleeping. This girl was dead. They knew that. So they, they react to Jesus with mockery. They react to Jesus with unbelief, no faith. Jesus knew that the girl was dead. But for Jesus, death is not different from sleep. The same way Jesus would wake up someone who is sleeping is the way that he would resurrect a dead person. So what does Jesus do? He kicks out all the professional mourners, all the professional people from the room because of their faithlessness. And he brings along with him only those who believed. Peter, John, James, Jairus, and his wife. So Jesus approaches the girl, takes her by the hand, and speaks to her in Aramaic. I, th I think the, the purpose of the Aramaic here is two. I think uh, Mark translates the Aramaic, right? Which means that he's probably writing to a non-Hebrew, non-Jewish community. Uh, but also, I think that it, this is supposed to feel tender. This is supposed to feel caring. It, it is the voice of a father waking up his daughter. So Jesus says, Talitha kumi. Little girl, get up. 
And that little girl in her dead body heard the tender voice of Christ defeating death. The medical realities that had once plagued her body are reversed. She's alive, she's healed, she's whole. She walked, she ate, death was no more. All were amazed at Jesus. And yet again, Jesus charges that no one should make the story known. Thus, friends, we see the kingdom of God come near. You know that Jesus never showed up at a funeral where the dead didn't rise. He has power over death. He has the power of the resurrection in his hands. He speaks and death flees. This promise of resurrection is the promise we all long for. And in this story, it came so close. The pain and suffering that Jairus endured came to an end because Jesus was victorious over the great enemy. Jesus was victorious over death. I wonder if we could have a conversation with Jairus today, what he would say. Jairus, was it worth it having faith in Jesus? Jairus, was it worth it turning a deaf ear to the mockery and disdain and offense of the world? Jairus, was it worth it to not fall prey to the schemes and lies and deceptions of the devil? Jairus, was it worth it? Was the struggle for faith worth it, Jairus? Was it worth it to reject the world? Was it worth it to come to Jesus? Was it worth it to trust Jesus? Was it worth it to follow Jesus? Jairus, is Jesus worth it? And Jairus would say to us, yes, he is worthy. He is God. He is worthy of all honor, praise, and glory. My daughter tasted death, but because of him, now she lives my daughter was lifeless and now she's full of life. He's worthy. He has restored to me that which Satan had stolen. Yes, he is worthy. Friend, what about us? Can we say along with Jairus, he is worthy? And friends, we can. Because Jairus' experience is a microcosm of our experience. We too have received the bad news that we are marching towards death. And at this time, we're being called to struggle for faith, to persevere in believing. The world will do everything to discourage us to mock us, to keep us from looking to Christ. But Christ keeps speaking to us with His tender and loving voice. Do not fear, just believe. Jesus was saying to Jairus, do not fear, I am destroying death. And Jesus did so ultimately by taking on death Himself. Jesus stared our great enemy 
in the face. He embraced it and squeezed it until death succumbed to death itself. Sin introduced death to the world, but righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, dealt death a mortal blow. And Jesus is now calling you, friend, to forsake that which is killing you and will ultimately kill you for all eternity. Sin. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we overcome the wages of sin? We confess it. We confess our sins. Sin loses its grip, loses its power of death on us when we acknowledge it before God. We say to God, I have sinned against you and therefore I deserve death. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross paying the payment of death that I deserve. But friends, didn't, Jesus didn't stay dead. And this little girl's resurrection pointed forward to Jesus' own resurrection, which is our hope. Paul calls it the first fruits. If Jesus raised from the dead the same resurrection that he experienced, we too will experience one day. Because Jesus rose from the dead, today he reigns. It's important. And through his reign, he's bringing to destruction the final enemy, death itself. You see, the day that he rose, that little girl from the dead, death was not totally destroyed yet. But the day that he rose that little girl from the dead, he pointed forward to his own resurrection from the dead, from the dead and he's telling us the battle, the, the battle is on and I am going to win. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 and 27, for he must reign, okay, Jesus' current rule, he must reign, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. There's tension here, right? He is reigning, but there's still a victory to be won. And look at verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The story does not promise that Jesus will resurrect our loved ones or deliver us from our pain and suffering in this present age. No, this story is about a future kingdom breaking into our experience today. The little girl went on to die, just as everyone that Jesus resurrected from the dead, or anyone that was resurrected from the dead in all of history, except for Jesus. This little girl went on to die, but Jesus promises that one day he will destroy death. And all of us who are trusted in him, who are listening to his voice and shutting down the voice of the world, Will know victory over death with him. The death of death will be the last chapter of history. And once Jesus completely destroys death, God's kingdom will be fully established. And we will live with him forever. And our call for today is to live in faith that this day is drawing near. And friends, 
how we long to see this day. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, to have faith like Jairus, to have faith like the bleeding woman, to know that you are Lord over all things. Father, we all, we all suffer in this world in so many ways. But Lord, we trust in Jesus, who is not merely a teacher, but who is God, and who has power and authority over all things, including our great enemy, death itself. So, Father, when Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of how deserving we are of death, help us look to Christ and trust in Him and wait for that day in which death will be no more and we will reign with Him. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. For the throne.